Midlothian, would you help me welcome the chapel in Richmond, Virginia? Good to see you guys today. Hey, 4 p.m. And uh, if you're new here, we're one church in a couple of different locations. And so when we were singing and worshiping, we were at an incredible location in the city in Richmond. Hey, 4 p.m. I know we've had our greatest ever uh, Christmas attendance at the chapel in Richmond. So love you guys. Love what God's doing. And thank you for being here with us today to celebrate Jesus. And uh, have you have you noticed that this is the time of year to talk about Christmas mu- uh, movies? Come on. And and have you noticed that some of the most uh, iconic movies we can think of are based on Christmas time and Christmas season? In fact, I thought um, that we could kind of quiz you on a couple of them and and, and show you them. But it was interesting to me, in every one of these movies, you'll notice that there's a tension that's created in the movie. Um, People in theater call it rising action. And then the tension is resolved. And so just, just whether you're in Richmond or in one of the lobbies here or in the room here. Just help me if you recognize any of these Christmas movies. Somebody help me out with this. Come on. Come on. It's Elf. Yeah. And this is, the tension in this movie is Will Ferrell wanting a father, you know, wanting the connection and community and father. And, and that tension is, is relieved at the end of the movie. Uh, here's another one. Maybe a couple of you would, would recognize. Come on. Yeah. Christmas vacation. You remember this? Chevy Chase makes plans to put in a pool, you remember? And his miserly boss doesn't give him the same Christmas bonus, and, and so he doesn't know what he's going to do. And then, remember Cousin Eddie? I don't know if you remember Cousin Eddie. Kidnaps his boss. And how many know all of us have a Cousin Eddie in our family? If you're here this weekend, you say, there's no Cousin Eddie in, this, in my family. I hate to tell you, you is Cousin Eddie. Come on. And uh, but everything's uh, uh, reconciled at the end. The boss realizes his mistake, and there's joy. Here's one. Maybe a few of you will recognize. Anybody know this one? Yeah, Christmas with the Cranks. And this is this is where they decide they're not going to um, celebrate Christmas this year. They're going to go on a cruise. And then their daughter says she's coming. And, and so they have they need the whole neighborhood's help to, to, to pull off Christmas. And, and that's uh, maybe maybe we'll throw it back with a little bit of an older one. Tell me if you recognize this one. Come on. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Remember George in this in this movie is uh, starts off totally hopeless, no no sense of hope, no sense of of optimism, and then by the end he's returning home and he has that hope in his heart. And you could hardly uh, list a bunch of Christmas movies without sharing the most, I mean the most uh, biggest gross sales of any Christmas movie in every location, every place. Yell it out as loud as you can. Come on, somebody help me out. Anybody know this? Home alone. Yeah, you remember Kevin gets left behind, doesn't he? And then he has to fend off the bad guys and finally his mom and even his brother. Everybody's uh, reconnected at Christmas and it's this whole great moment. One of the amazing things about every one of those movies is there's a tension that's created and then it's resolved in some way. And I don't know if you know this, but but throughout human history, there's been a tension (laughs) And here's what the tension is. How do a broken humanity get restored to a perfect God? And, and Christmas actually is the way that God begins to solve the problem of the tension between us and a perfect God. And he does this by sending his own son into the world to transform our life. And 
And I want to talk to you for just a minute or two before we light our candles and before we sing Silent Night about the incredible meaning that Christmas has. Let me set it up this way by showing you that the Bible says when, when the time came and when it was just right, in fact, it puts it this way, when the fullness of time had come, God solved the tension of the world by sending his, God sent forth his what? Come on. God sent forth his son. How many know that's what Christmas is? God sending his son. It's not just a cute baby. It's, a, it's the son of the living God who sent from heaven. And the Bible tells us that this happened in the fullness of time. And in, if you were in, in the Bible times, you would understand that phrase in the fullness of time. Because they had waited an awful long time for God to send his, his savior, his rescuer. In fact, if you've ever read the Bible, there's, there's a, a, a first part and a second part. An Old Testament and a New Testament. And if you ever were to open the page right between them, you see kind of a a empty page it just says the new testament and and it, it's easy to turn just one page but it's actually 400 years of silence it's uh, theologians call it the intertestamental period it's 400 years where god doesn't seem to be saying anything or doing anything in fact uh, uh think about that 400 years that's that's older than our own nation and people were waiting on God and frustrated with God and uncertain as to why God wasn't fixing the world and why he wasn't sending his savior. But the Bible says that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. I don't know if you know this, but God was preparing exactly the right moment for Jesus to come into this world. Now, let me kind of show you how, because I think it'll, it'll um, enlarge your, your appreciation for God and for Christ. And that is that God was working out all the circumstances in the world so that when Jesus came and the gospel was preached, it could have maximum impact in the culture. In fact, God was even working the political part of the world around it. And Rome was now ruling over the world. You, you remember the Roman conquests and they, they issued peace all over the then known world. It was called the Pax Romana, which meant universal peace. And this would have been the first time in hundreds of years, almost in human history, where you could have sort of a passport to travel wherever you wanted in the world and, and preach. And so after Jesus left this world, there was this universal peace and the apostles could travel and not only could they travel, but there was a system of roads built. Uh, we call them Roman roads. And so for the first time in the, in the whole world, not only could you have a passport to travel, but there were these roads that, in, that interconnected the whole world. And, and it seemed like everything was come together. And there was even cultural preparation. For the first time in human history, most people spoke the same language, uh, Koine Greek and so you have universal peace, they have passports, they can travel, roads that they can travel on, and the same language. So that when Jesus came, he, he, there was even a sense of openness because of Rome to, to, to believe different things. And so the whole setting was set up to create the optimum moment that Jesus could come into this world to have a maximum impact. And, and what people thought was God just delaying or taking too long was God working on behalf of his people. How many know sometimes when we think God's not smart or God's not doing the right thing, how many know God is smarter than us? I can change the sermon if we don't know that. Come on. In fact, would you do me a favor in every lobby at Richmond? Just turn to the person next to you and tell them God's smarter than you. Come on, just tell them that. Come on in the lobby, in the overflow, in Richmond. God's smarter than you. And yet sometimes there are moments in life where we feel like there's a delay, where we feel like there's a detour, where we feel like we're not sure what God's doing. And 
A few months ago, my wife was taking my daughter to a movie, my youngest daughter, and she does this thing that I think is a sin. Instead of buying candy at the movie theater, she goes to the Dollar Tree on the way to the theater. And I think it's sinful. You can correct her. but uh, And they were running it kind of tight up for time for the start of the, the movie. And, and, and she calls me and she's like, you're not going to believe it. I'm behind a lady in, in line at the Dollar Tree. Ended up being $153. This lady bought 153 items at the Dollar Tree. Now, I don't know if you've been to the Dollar Tree lately. There's not 153 things to buy. And she said, I feel like we're going to miss the start of the movie. And I said, maybe it's God judging you for bringing that bootleg candy <laughs> into the movie, you know. But probably all of us would admit there are times in life where we don't feel like God's working quick enough. In fact, maybe we could have a show of hands. Where are the impatient people in the room? Come on, raise your hand. Maybe I should say, where are the patient people, right? And sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. And what's amazing to me, look here, is that instead of God delaying, he was just waiting for the right moment for Jesus to come on the scene for the gospel to have the maximum impact. And I just felt like maybe God sent me here this Christmas weekend to tell you if there's been some things in your life that are taking a long time. You're not sure why God's working it out that way. You don't understand why it's taking so long. You don't even understand if God's working. Maybe he feels silent like he did in the time leading up to Jesus' life. I want to just encourage you when the time has fully come in God's best time for you and for his glory he'll work it on out and just because we don't understand doesn't mean God's not working and he he resolves the tension of time and and here's the second thing that that Christmas resolves it resolves the tension of our broken relationship with God in fact in the very next verse Paul tells us in Galatians what God wants to do he wants to bring us into his family that's what God wants to do He wants to adopt us into his family. He wants to make us his sons and daughters. Do you know this Christmas? God is not interested in religion as much as he is interested in a connection to us that's personal and relational. And the interesting thing is he describes our relationship with him to say God so so wants a relationship with you that he's going to adopt you into his family and he's going to call you his son. He's going to call you his daughter. And here's the meaning of this. In, in the ancient world, adoption meant that all the debts associated with your previous family are canceled. And all the benefits associated with your new family are, are given to you. And so here's the point today. If you're a believer of Jesus and you follow Jesus, then all of your sins have been washed away. And all of the resources of Almighty God are completely yours. Because God hasn't designed us for just, for just uh, a peripheral uh, connection. God's designed us for relationship. And, In fact, around here at the chapel, we say our vision is in three things, but I won't tell you all three of them, just the first one, because I know there's a lot of guests. But I want everyone to know the vision when they walk out of these rooms in a few minutes. We exist as a church just to help people come to know God. You say that. What else? No, that's it. Come on. We exist as a church to help people come to what? To know God. We exist as a church to help people come to what? To know. Come on, say it one time with me. We exist to help people come to what? To know to know God. No, it's not more complicated than that. It's not more confusing than that. We exist as a church to help people come to know God through Jesus Christ. And all of that is swallowed up in the story of Christmas where God invites us to be a part of his family. John Blanchard stood up from the bench and straightened his army uniform and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. 
He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't, the girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, but not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. In the front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her. She lived in New York City. He wrote a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond. And the next day after he sent that letter, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She said if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting at 7 p.m. in Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7, he was in the station looking for a girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he'd never seen. I'll let Mr. Blanchard tell you what happened from here. A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay in curls across her ears. Her eyes were blue, her lips were firm, and in a pale green suit, she looked just like springtime come alive. I started towards her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile turned her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one more step closer to her, and then I saw Hollis Mayno. She was standing there almost behind the girl, a woman well advanced in years. She, was graying, she had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump and had thick ankle feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was quickly walking away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned and upheld mine. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the worn, small, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. And so I squared my shoulders and I saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke, I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad you, may, you, you can meet me. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, son, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by begged me to wear this rose on my coat. She said if you were to ask me out to dinner, I should tell you that she's waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. How many know we all like a little love story? Come on, don't we? Because we were built to, to respond to, to affection and care and love. In fact, this is the time of year, I hate to admit it, that come on, Hallmark Christmas movies are out. If you, I, 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 I'm not a fan, but I want to know who is, okay? 
So if you're in this room, Richmond, any of the lobbies, if you are a fan of Hallmark Christmas movies, just raise your hand so we can pray for you today. <laughs> See that hand. Well, my mom, my wife, the girls, they all watch them. And let me tell you, if you have seen one Hallmark Christmas movie, you have seen every Hallmark Christmas movie. Come on. I mean, a girl who grew up in the Midwest, but she's got a job now in the big city in New York City. She's engaged to a Wall Street broker who's kind of a jerk, but she sees something special in him, right? She's all uptight and nervous about, about, about things, but she's found her guy and it's fine. But she's headed home to, to, to Nowheresville, Ohio for, for Christmas, right? And there she is, got the job of resuscitating the town's little Christmas play that hasn't happened for long. So this uptight girl who grew up in Ohio goes back home to get the Christmas play going. She leaves her fiancé and, oh, she meets a widower. She's vegan, and he eats meat with a side of meat. Wears a big belt buckle. But, oh, her mom thinks there's something special about him, but she thinks he's kind of corny, and she argues with him, and he argues with her, and eventually she realizes, oh, her heart is his. They execute the Christmas play. All the kids cheer. There's a donkey that walks through. Come on. She marries him. He's got a big belt buckle on. She comes out, yeehaw, and moves back to Ohio, quits her job, dumps the jerk, gets married, 3.2 kids, come on, on the side of a little lake, and all is right in the world. How many know that is every Hallmark Christmas movie? Flat out. Saved you two hours and commercial breaks. But the reason we watch them is because there's something about seeing people's hearts captured by another. And I'm telling you, Christmas is the greatest story of love and affection in all the world. It's the story of the God of the universe seeing us. We didn't have a lapel, uh, a rose on our lapel. We, weren't, we didn't have it all together. We were kind of broken and messed up. But God in his grace saved us. And the story of Christmas is God sending his son Jesus to, to be born in Bethlehem. But then he grows into a man and at 33 years of age, Climbs on a cross, stretches out his hands, embraces the world, dies there for us to offer us life and life eternal. Listen, the story of Christmas is the story of this very next verse, and then we're done. That you no longer have to be a slave to sin and yourself. You can be a son. You no longer have to be a slave to sin and yourself. You can be a son. And in just a second, we're going to light some candles. In just a second, I'm going to pray and turn it over to Richmond. We're going to light some candles, and we're going to be fun, and photo booth. And... But hey, what a mistake it would be to be so close to the story of Jesus and not have it on the inside of your heart. Maybe you're here today, and you say, well, Pastor, I'm not part of this denomination. Well, I don't quite know what denomination we are anyway, so good. congrats. My dad was Roman Catholic. My mom was Pentecostal. I was confused. <laughs> it's not about those kind of things. It's about faith in the Lord Jesus. God sent his son, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The story of Christmas is available to us. And it's a story that that isn't just knowing it up here, it's experiencing it. It's, in, it's saying, like, if I were to ask you, hey, do you know God? How would you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I really know God. And the story of Christmas is God coming to 
to remove the tension between heaven and earth, to restore us into a relationship with himself, to make us whole again. And in just a second, I'm going to pray. And at the end, we're going to dismiss it to campuses. We'll sing Silent Night. We'll do all that. But I just want to make sure we have a moment to connect with God. A moment to ask the question, where's my heart at in relationship to the creator of the universe? And if I accepted the free gift, God says, you don't have to be a slave. You could be a son. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be far away. You can be adopted into his family. He's going to pull you in and forgive you completely and offer you grace and mercy. And I'd love to pray to that end. If you're comfortable today, would you bow your heads in this room, in the lobby, in uh, Richmond, and if you're watching online, I'd love to pray for us. Right where you're sitting, would you just take 20 seconds and ask the question, do I know God? Not did I grow up in church, not did my grandpa, was he, but no. Do I know God? The story of the Bible is God's already taken the, taken the first step by sending his son Jesus to be born, to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death. That if we place our faith fully in him, meaning trust him completely, he can forgive us and give us a new start. So God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the love story of Christmas. That in the fullness of time, you sent forth your son to give us new life. And God, I pray every one of us would see with fresh eyes, not just a holiday, but the Holy One of Israel, born the King of Ages. God, if there's anybody in these rooms or online that's not sure, God, would tonight be, this afternoon, be a chance for them to take a step and say, I trust you completely. I'm placing my faith wholly in you. I repent of my sin, turn away from it, and place my faith fully in you. I make you the Lord and the treasure of my life. Rescue me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.